Hello everyone, and welcome back to the Lost in the Wilderness Bible Study Podcast. So today I wanted to talk a little bit about Jesus' love for us and his sacrifice at Calvary. So if we look at the book of Luke, chapter 22, verse 63, and I'm going to read a couple, maybe a dozen verses here, because it's a really good lead up to Jesus being crucified. So at this point, Jesus was already arrested. And I believe Peter disowned Jesus for the third time before he found his faith rekindled in his heart. So we're going to look at 63 here. The men who were guarding Jesus began mocking and beating him. They blindfolded him and and demanded, Prophecy, who hit you? And they said many other insulting things to him. At daybreak, the council of the elders of the people, both the chief priests and the teachers of the law, met together, and Jesus was led before them. If you are the Messiah, they said, tell us. Jesus answered, If I tell you, you will not believe me, and if I ask you, you would not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. They all asked, Are you then the Son of God? And he replied, You say that I am. Then they said, Why do we need any more testimony? We have heard it from his own lips. Now we're at Luke 23, and I'll just go ahead and sum this up. I've already read it, so I'll paraphrase here with a little bit of uh, dialogue from Pilate to Jesus. So, essentially what we have going on here is the priest and the, and the law keepers led Jesus to Pilate, and they began to accuse him, saying, We have found this man subvert, subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to C- Caesar and claims to be Messiah, a king. So Pilate asked Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus replies, You have said so. Then Pilate announced to the chief priest and the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against this man. But they insisted, and they kept pushing this. They wanted Barabbas back, who was thrown in jail for insurrection and murder. And Pilate said again, This punishment does not fit his crime. I will punish him and then release him. And that's verse 16 right there. But the whole crowd shouted, Away with this man, release Barabbas to us. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again, but they kept shouting, Crucify him, crucify him. I think sometimes as Christians and as learners of the word, we tend to demonize Pilate here. We tend to think that he was evil, Although he did give in to the will of man, which is very important not to do. It's very important not to give in to the will of men, because at the end of the day, men aren't going to get you into heaven. It's one man, and his name was Jesus. And they crucified him here. But for the third time he spoke to them, Why? What crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore I I will have him punished and then release him. But with loud shouts they insistently demanded that he be crucified, and their shouts prevailed. Like I said, 
Do not give in to the will of men, because the will of men is worldly, and that will not get you into heaven. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, Barabbas, and then surrendered Jesus to their will. So now we're at verse 26. And as the soldiers led him away, they seized Simon of Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. So Simon had the honor to carry Jesus' cross. A large, number, a large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you say, Blessed are the childless women and the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if people do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Right here, Jesus is prophesizing about the end times, saying that, yeah, the world's still around right now, but what happens when mothers have kids in the end times? What happens when they're tortured and, and abused and plagued by demons in the times to come? But two other men, both criminals, and we're at verse 32 right now, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That is such a profound statement. I know I talked about it last time, but even in his time of dying, even in his time of great agony, the only thing on Jesus' mind was forgiveness for those who had sinned. Even if they hadn't understood the depth of Jesus' sacrifice here, it's very plain to, plain to see that they had no clue. They were the very peak of ignorance here. The very man who came to save them, they were crucifying. And then they divided up his clothes by casting lots, which I believe is similar to drawing straws or rolling dice. But then people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, He saved others. Let him save himself if, if he is God's Messiah, the Chosen One. And then the soldiers came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him and said, Don't you fear God, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, and we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him and said, Truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. The whole dialogue between the two criminals and Jesus, it led me to a thought. And that thought is, are you the criminal who rebuked Jesus? Or are you the one who rejoiced in his presence, knowing that you're going to have eternity in heaven with Jesus? 
the man who came here and died for your sins so that you may find eternal eternal life. We are the criminals in which Jesus died for. Every day we sin, every day we break the laws and the commandments in the Bible, the ones given to Moses in the New Covenant. Every day we are the criminals. We are the criminals that Jesus came here to die for. So will you turn your back on him? Or will you have faith and live for him so that his life was not lost in vain? Looking at Luke twenty three forty four. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. Can you imagine that? Three p.m. outside, and it be dark. For the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, which I believe, don't quote me here, I believe that's the same centurion that Jesus wept, wept because of his faith. Because of this Roman centurion, this Gentile, had such astounding faith when Jesus came to heal his servant. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness the sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. For all those who knew him, including the woman, the, the women who had been following him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man, who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, something like that, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to his commandment. Now we're at Luke 24. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look? For the living among the dead. He is not here, for he has risen. Remember what he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. Right there. That is the... That is the... That is the great promise the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what it means to have the helmet of salvation as part of the armor of God. God was, Jesus was resurrected on the third day. Remember we talked about Acts 2.24 in the last episode. 
for death could not keep its grips on Jesus. Jesus was so powerful, not only did he prophesize about Peter disowning him three times, he prophesied about Judas betraying him for 20 silver pieces, which today's money is roughly... Oh, wait, no. No, never mind, that was something else. But he prophesied about his death by crucifixion and then being raised three days later. Moving on, we are at chapter 24, verse 9. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. Because remember, Judas is no longer a part of the twelve. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed like to seem to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. And now we're on verse 13. Now the same day, two of them were going to a village called Emus, Emaus, something like that, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they kept, but they were kept from recognizing him. So, there's some readings that I'm still getting to, but in this instance, Jesus is no longer in the body of flesh. He is in the body of spirit, which is our true body. We are in a, this body that we live in right now is just a tent. This is temporary. We are not meant to be in this form forever, and that's why we must die. But that's why it's important to believe in Jesus and to follow Jesus and to repent from our sins so that one day we may have a body of spirit like Jesus has here. And there's some really cool stuff that comes with it. Like, Jesus was the original superhero. Nowadays, when you watch Marvel or you watch DC, like, these superheroes... It's literally copying what Jesus could do in the Bible, and it's so amazing. But, back to the reading. Verse 17, he asked them, and this is Jesus talking, What are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? And Jesus asked, What things? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is, in the, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive, because that's part of the resurrection. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it was just as the woman said, and they did not find Jesus. Verse 25 here, this is Jesus talking. He said to them, How foolish you are, 
and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and that, and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked to us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? And that's the power of the Spirit. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. So now we're getting to one of my personal favorite parts of this entire sequence of events. And we're at Luke twenty four thirty six. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking that they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are, why are you troubled, and why do, you, do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bone, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet, and while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. So, really interesting thing here. Jesus doesn't have to eat fish. He doesn't have to eat. He doesn't have to drink water. He's doing this to show them that he can. So, instead of out of necessity, he's enjoying the fish. Which is something that we're going to be able to do when we go to heaven. We're... It's it's not like we're not going to eat food up in heaven, but it's the whole idea that it won't be a necessity. So, verse 45 here. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures, and he told them, This is what, it is, this is what is written. A Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and stayed continually at the temple praising God. My favorite part about this After Jesus had revealed himself to the eleven, not only were their doubts gone, but this is where they get the Holy Spirit. This is where the Holy Spirit comes into play, because Jesus said that he wouldn't leave them, but he would give them a a companion to help them. 
And this also goes back to when Jesus kicked over the table in the temple of Jerusalem, when the Hebrews were doing money exchanges at bad rates, and they were ripping people off, and they were being greedy with money and stuff like that. And he kicked the table over and said, this temple will be tore down and rebuilt in three days. Well, the temple is no longer in Jerusalem. The temple is within us. And the Holy Spirit is what tends that temple. Some of us think that we have to receive the Holy Spirit from God. But it's when we turn to God that we are given the Holy Spirit. It's not something that comes and goes. It's something that we have that puts the conviction on us, that fires us up when we get lukewarm or cold. And I'd also like to add that it is not the conviction of sin, but the conviction of our righteousness. The conviction of, hey, I know you've fallen a little bit, but you're better than this. You have me. And that being, you know, Jesus working through the Holy Spirit. But this is really just one of my favorite, favorite stories, like favorite chapters in the Bible. Because this, this explains so much to us. And I think it reflects a lot of our society today. So going back to what I had talked about earlier, are we the criminal who rebuked Jesus and mocked him and said that if you are the Messiah, why don't you save us and yourself? Or are you the one who already understands that you are being saved by Jesus every day? When you turn to him and you have faith and love for him, and I mean 100% faith, Worry is of Satan. To worry is not of God. Because if you were truly believing and faithful to God, you would not worry, for you know that this is not our, our home. This body is but a tent. For our true home is in heaven with God. But ask yourself, are you the criminal who rebuked Jesus? Or the one who rejoiced in his presence? We're all criminals here. By definition, we've all committed crimes against God and against the world and against our neighbor. Some do it every day. It's not something we can escape either, but only through the blood of Jesus that we can get past it. And God knows that we're going to sin daily, but it's that turning away from sin. Sometimes we can't help it. Sometimes we'll have a lustful thought or an angry emotion or for instance, driving down the road, someone's going 40 in a 55, you get angry. Well, anger like that is a sin because you're supposed to love your neighbor. And loving your neighbor doesn't mean to love your direct neighbor. It means to love everyone. We're all neighbors. We're all brothers and sisters here. But to love one another and to love God. So, we're all criminals in that right. So we, we we really can't escape that. That's the whole reason that Jesus had to die on the cross for our sins. He was the ultimate sacrifice. Because without him, none of us would make it to heaven. None of us would, would ever be worthy. We still aren't worthy. But it's by the grace of God and the love of Jesus that gets us through it. It's what gets us to heaven in the first place. 
But it's not that alone. I mean, obviously, we have to change ourselves. We have to turn away from a life of sin and desire and the fleshly desires and temptations. We have to turn away from that willingly. Like, we want, we have to want to turn away from that sin and turn towards God. Will he have, would his life had been taken in vain? Or will we take the sacrifice that Jesus had given to us for our salvation, for our eternity in heaven with his Father and Jesus? Will we take that seriously? For if we are to get into heaven... A lot of, some okay, not a lot of, but some faiths believe that we can get into heaven by works. Well, if you do a million good works, but you do not believe in Jesus, I'm sorry, you're not getting into heaven. Because that would make Jesus' sacrifice vain. That would make it null and void if we could earn our spot in heaven by doing good things. Because at the end of the day, Jesus came here and died for our sins because it was impossible for us to get into heaven otherwise. We can't do good things and works and expect to get into heaven without knowing Jesus. That's the whole foundation to our faith, is believing in Jesus that he died for our sins and loving Jesus for his sacrifice and to have a personal, intimate relationship with God and Jesus. There's, there, there is no other way. You can't donate money. You could donate every cent that you've ever earned in your life. God wants you to do that. Don't get me wrong. But works are already obligatory. We are supposed to do that. That's a whole part of loving our neighbor. That's why stealing from someone is a sin, because you're not loving your neighbor. Literally, loving your neighbor and loving God and Jesus, that's the only two rules you need to follow. But, in saying that, the importance of that love, if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 4-13, you'll understand what I'm saying. And that's God's version of love. That is God's definition. And God's definition of anything is so much better than our definition of anything. Like, God's definition of hatred is not our worldly definition of hatred. To hate on earth is to, like, despise and have so many strong, bad emotions towards someone. But in reality, God's definition of hate is to be disassociated with. If God hates you, he doesn't want to be associated with you. That's where coldness comes in. If God loves you, he wants to be associated with you. God does hate. He hates things. But he does not hate people, from my understanding. He loves us all, and he wants us to get closer to him. He wants us to have that personal, intimate relationship with us. But the thing is, to have a personal, intimate relationship with God, it's not praying every night saying, God, please make me successful. 
and then you become successful and you say, God, thank you. That's not a relationship. I seen a really good TikTok today and it reminded me of this. That's no more of a relationship than if you go in to a restaurant and you say, um, I think I'll take a cheeseburger, please. Thank you. Do you have an intimate relationship with that waitress or that waiter? No, you don't. Being intimate with God is saying, God, I've sinned and I'm so ashamed. And I'm turning away from that, Lord. I'm asking for your strength. I'm asking for your help here, Lord. It's keeping no secrets from God. God already knows. He already knows everything that you've thought, felt, tried to keep secret, done, or said. But he wants you to come to him for that. He is our Heavenly Father. Good fathers want you to come to them and talk to them. They want you to confide in them and trust in them and have faith in them and love them. That's also why it's important for godly men to be like that, to be understanding and loving and courageous, to know how to defend themselves and their family, but know when to and when not to. But basically, all this leads up to me saying, well, really it's God saying, but Jesus loves you. No matter what you've done, no matter what you will do, Jesus loves you. And all you need to do for eternal happiness and eternal life in heaven is to turn towards God and turn towards Jesus. Accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Turn towards God and have a close, intimate relationship with Him. I know it's hard. Every day is a battle for me. Every day we walk in this world of wickedness and sin, and no one really understands except for fellow Christians. And some of those don't even understand. And I pray for our brothers and sisters who are lukewarm. Some days I feel like I might be lukewarm, but then I just ask God, God, bring me back over the fire, make me hot again. Help me. But it's the effort that you make that counts. God will never forsake you. He will always be there to help you. But you have to ask. You have to seek that counsel with God. And you have to ask for that blessing. But blessings are mysterious. And something that you might not take as a blessing may very well be a blessing to you. Like when Jacob wrestled with God, and he said, God, I want my blessing, and he wouldn't take no for an answer. So when God got done wrestling Jacob, he touched his hip, and, G and Jacob forever walked with a limp. That was his blessing. Jesus, or I'm sorry, not Jesus, Jacob later renamed himself to Israel. But every day we... We have to stay vigilant. We have to stay thirsty and hungry. Hungry for the word and thirsty for the living water of Christ. That is the only way. So please, do not be the criminal who rebukes Jesus, but instead be the one who rejoices in his presence. We're all crucified. We're living a limited lifespan. Both of those criminals on the crosses could have easily had just given in and said, you know what, 
I'm going to die soon. I better turn towards Jesus, the Messiah. Especially back in that time, they seen the miracles. They seen the wonders. They seen the works. They felt the Spirit, and they seen Jesus heal hundreds of people. But Jesus also said, blessed be the ones who don't see the miracles. And that means us. Because of Jesus' sacrifice, we no longer need the miracles. Well, let me, let me rephrase that. We need miracles just as much as anyone else. There are some families that are tore apart. Some Christians that are fighting to stay in. We need miracles every day. But that's why Jesus went to the cross. That alone was the biggest miracle of our, of our entire existence as the human species. But because of Jesus, we can have eternal life. We no longer have to worry about dying. Because as long as we believe in Jesus, and we adhere to his rules, and we turn away from sin... We're not going to be perfect, of course, but that's the whole reason he went to the cross. We will have eternal life in heaven. The living water. The living water quenches our soul. When we're thirsty, we get water. Some of us, some of us go out and we get lemonade, or we get coffee, or we get tea, or we get anything else that isn't the living water. And what does that do? That makes us thirstier. That makes us further from the point where we want to be to where we're hydrated. But Jesus is the living water. Let's go ahead and close out with a prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you now, Lord, and I ask that you guide this message to whoever needs to hear it, Lord, and that all who listen are blessed, Lord. Lord, give us the strength to carry on another day, Lord, and let us all wake up tomorrow, God, and praise your holy name for another day. God, we praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.